Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of Kavam, a Doctor Who podcast, of course, you know by now, where we talk about not the episodes so much, but about the special features, the Blu-rays, the documentaries, the van, the DVDs, the CDs, everything about Doctor Who that's made to kind of discuss Doctor Who, I guess, in terms of on physical media. Um, it's a podcast, I think we're on episode five already, because we've been flying through discussing season 24. Well, we will we'll be more discussing season 24 today, but previewing that previously, we've done season 12 and 19, discussed lots of the animation range of Doctor Who as well, among many other things. And as I mentioned, today we're going to be covering off uh, the season 24 box set, which came out, I think, a couple of weeks or so ago now from when um, uh, when we were recording this, and hopefully you guys are enjoying it as well. Um, and we'll also be covering, of course, Evil of the Daleks being announced as an animation, which um, I think happened after we last did our podcast. So that's a pretty big topic to talk about in addition. Um, but of course, as always, we've, I've got my two um, stalwarts alongside me to chat about season 24 and Evil of the Daleks. It's Ryan and Charlie. How are you getting on, guys? Doing very well, thank you. Um, everything's going very well. How about you, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. I've um, got the Season 24 collection box set right here, and um, I've been very watching nice. lots of the VAM from that, and yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's certainly going to give us some good um, points and, and topics to talk about, I'm sure, today um, in the podcast. So, well, without further ado, we might as well not waste any time, you know. You're, hopefully, if you've tuned in the podcast, you're probably here to listen to some chat about season 24 so we may as well get cracking with it so of course season 24 uh, is the ninth box that i believe to be released in the collection range it was released a couple of weeks or so ago covering what it's fair to say is one of the less popular seasons of classic who i don't think there's many people out there who would call it their favorite but Ultimately, every season up to is going to be released on the collection range, so it was always going to happen at some point. Um, some people may be surprised it came so early in the range, but that's just the way that we kind of ended up with it. So I know Ryan and, well, I, I've managed to pick it up, albeit I haven't managed to watch a huge amount of it, but Ryan and Charlie, you guys have also, I believe, managed to get hold of the box set. So, uh, Charlie, I don't think you've been getting that many of the collection box sets up until now, but having had a good chance to get stuck into this one, what are your kind of first imp- sort of overall impressions of the box set? Personally, I, I love the box set, honestly. Um, it's definitely encouraged me to get more of them because season 24 is actually the first one I've ever got. So okay. I think after watching the, the extended editions, the updated audio, um, well, I suppose not the updated to special effects because there aren't any, but um, <laughs> the, just all of them has definitely convinced me to go back and buy the previous releases. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's it's great that for people who are only just getting into some of these collection box sets, the fact they're now doing, I know obviously the packaging isn't the same and, you know, there's there's a whole debate there, but you can get these re-releases of the collection box sets. I think we've also got season 12 and um, season 10 and 18 alongside 12 and 19 that are now kind of freely available to pick up. So for people like yourself who didn't get that chance first time around, I think it's really great that we're getting that uh, second opportunity to do so. Um, And so Ryan, I think you've been um, pretty much collecting all of them so far. Uh, How does season 24 kind of compare sort of special features wise i know obviously stories is a very different matter but special features wise how does it compare to some of the other box that you've been watching recently um i think they've done a fairly good job of um handling the special features on this range whether it's like adding new extended features um and uh, additions to uh, some of these stories uh, adding new seeds and which i know they did sort of did a few of them before with the dvd range they did an extended already released an extended version of Delta the Bannerman part one on the DVD release before, but to have them for every single story, I thought was a nice little neat addition. And also adding more documentaries that add more of a deeper insight into the season overall and just sort of everything that has been going on behind the scenes. Uh, I just thought they did such a great job of 
basically covering everything what was going on during that period of time. Yeah, exactly. It was always going to be the case of with a season where maybe the stories aren't the selling point, it was going to be almost more important to ensure that the uh, added features, whether it be extended episodes or documentaries covering the, the background of the show, the archive features, all of these sorts of features, it was almost more important, I think, on this box set that they were there, that they were good, that they were really interesting and engaging. And and I think, as I'm sure we'll come on to cover, the kind of production problems that this season face for many reasons um, almost probably helps the VAM in some ways be more interesting because there's more interesting stories to tell about like the making of the season fundamentally I think um, I don't know is that what came across to you Charlie watching some of the sort of documentaries about the season yeah so um, especially with um, Time in the Rani I watched mm-hmm. the documentary about that I think it was called um, Last Chance Saloon or something like that explaining how this was sort of their last shot otherwise it'd be cancelled and yeah. Um, yeah it does sort of justify the quality of time in the rani to some extent um same <laughs> yeah same with delta and the bannermen as well and dragonfire maybe not so much paradise towers i'd say that's the most stable production wise of the season but yeah. um yeah definitely the others yeah exactly exactly and so ryan we might as well start from the beginning really with time in the rani i know charlie you just sort of cover that off uh, I, I'm conscious that Time of the Rani, as, as, in terms of looking at the special features to it, it, it's a disc that's absolutely packed. I don't think I've ever seen a menu like so full of special features when you select that part of it um, across it. So, I mean, what have you have you been able to watch that much of the disc? And if so, what have the highlights been for you so far of that? I mean, all the features are pretty much exactly the same as it was on the DVD release. The only sort of additions I suppose they've added to it was basically... Um, basically all the studio gallery footage, um, as well as the extended versions of the episode. But most notably are the audition tapes for the Seventh Doctor. That's the new thing they added, like the full uncut audition tapes. It's so interesting that watching the audition for Sylvester McCoy, that even journeys, that was sort of the first time he ever got a chance to get get into the shoes of the Doctor, that he seems to pretty much understand it from the word go. And it's so funny that even when you compare his performance in the audition tapes to where he is throughout the season, it it's pretty much the same. So it just goes to show why John Nathan Turner thought he was the only real solid choice for the role. Yeah, I think it's fascinating seeing these... Uh, well, obviously seeing Sylvester's um, sort of uh, interview tape, but also seeing audition tape, also seeing these other people. I think it was David Fielder and who was the other chap who was auditioned? Can you guys remember? I can't remember his name. I'm going to have to look this up now, aren't I? But um, seeing those two different auditions, I think it just kind of, it, it, it opens a window to this bizarre alternative world where one of these other people were the Doctor and what it would have been like watching this era of the show with a completely different Doctor, which we don't normally get that impression of because you don't have these sort of audition tapes for anybody else. So I think, having watched some of that, I thought it was absolutely a fascinating insight into both the processes. Obviously, it was interesting having Janet Fielding there being the sort of companion character to the Doctor as well. I thought that was a nice little extra sort of nod. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it's just a fascinating insight, isn't it, really, and into into the sort of process of auditioning as well, I think, that, that, that um, was really, really fascinating. Did you find that when you were watching some of this, Charlie? Absolutely, yeah. I think um, it was definitely very interesting seeing these other actors. But um, even though the other actors were really good, seven, just as good as maybe the Eighth Doctor or something like that, I do think Sylvester was definitely the person they should have gone with, and I'm glad they did. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dermot Crowley was the other other chap who um, was auditioning. David Fielder and Dermot Crowley. I thought I, I felt you know with this sort of podcast, we need to find that information out. Um, so yeah, I, I know you guys have mentioned a couple of times the extended episodes, and I think we had a chat about this in the previous podcast about kind of there's you know there's positives and negatives to um, having extended episodes, and it's sort of that thing of of a story when it often episodes that are released on um, TV there's a reason they're the length that they are sometimes it is of course due to time restrictions but often they're they're the length they are because that's all the interesting content that's got into the episode and sometimes those deleted scenes don't really add anything they just kind of drag out the story even more so you as having had a chance to watch some of the extended episodes i don't know did you find that it enhanced some of these stories or didn't really add a lot it's it was kind of touch and go there were times where it did add like an extra little scene or two does help give a bit more context but sometimes it just does feel like extended padding that just didn't need to be there and and it's just it's a case of personal preference I suppose really um Charlie what about you um I do kind of agree with you there Ryan it's definitely um a bit of a mixed bag because um, say in Paradise Towers they actually had some really entertaining um extended scenes there whereas let's say in Time in the Rani all I noticed was some more of Mel screaming in a quarry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was, about, all, that was about all the extended we got for Time in the Rani, whereas, say, Dragonfire, that had a bit, um, and Delta and the Bannermans, I already saw on the disc, on the DVD, sorry. Yeah, so, well, exactly. Funnily enough, with um, Delta and the Bannermen, one thing I did, a little bit, I felt did add, was that TARDIS scene at the beginning that wasn't in yes. the transmitted version i feel like and i thought enough andrew carmel said that he does dislikes doing tardis scenes for something he just doesn't like them but i don't know maybe it's because a little tiny bit of a traditionalism in me i do like a good old tardis scene between the doctor and the companion so it was good yeah. nice to have that at the beginning of delta and the Batman and how that links into them well meeting ken dodd at the beginning <laughs> Exactly. Yes, a rather unique unique start to an episode, shall we say, among other things. Um, so another thing that's very noticeable on this box set is the, well, quite frankly, crazy amount of location and studio footage that's included. Um, I think Time and the Rani alone, for example, has about seven hours between the location and studio. So much so that, you know, the way the box set has been laid out is you get the story, this one's the story, and all of the special features, then disc two is the extended version, plus just the location and studio footage, because there is literally seven hours on every single disc, it, or every other disc, essentially. Um, so it's pretty bonkers. I mean, I, I, you know, it's not something I would rush to watch, so I can't imagine you guys have really sat down and watched too much of it yet. Um, but I still think that, you know, you can sometimes get some interesting things, but I think, I feel like more than ever, this amount of studio footage is really going to become background viewing rather than something you're really going to sit down and pay any attention to. I don't know, what what, what did you think about it, Charlie? Um, well, I've only seen the studio footage for um, Paradise Towers, actually. It's my favourite story in the season. Yeah. Um, and about 5% of it was actually quite funny. It was bloopers. It was like sort of, you know misplaced like choreography with you know how the movement of the characters it was it was quite entertaining about five percent of it and the other 95 percent yeah was background viewing i'm i'm not rushing to watch any of the other studio footage yeah it's yeah. i don't know brian have you bothered with any of it yet i haven't really bothered with it that much i mean i do um I did watch a little bit of Delta and the Bannerman, the studio footage, but 
I didn't watch past like 15, 20 minutes of it. I just kind of, it is basically something that is more back, something to have on in the background while you're busy doing other stuff, frankly. Yeah, I think that's where, as as much as I'm kind of a little bit OCD with it, so I feel like I'm going to have to have it on for the whole period of time to kind of say that I've ticked off that part of the box set watching it. I don't know, maybe that, maybe it's just me, it's like that. But I feel like I'm going to have to find a way to have it on for six hours or seven hours, but probably, as you say, doing other stuff at the same time to try and, I don't know, keep it interesting. Because sometimes there's only so many times you can watch them do the same scene over and over again because they've slightly screwed it up. Like, it just, it does get a bit, I'm sure for the people on set, it gets tedious and watching it, it does sometimes get a little bit tedious as well. As much as you mentioned, Charlie, there are those few funny moments, those interesting moments that, that do also, I think, make it worthwhile having it on there because i know there are some people who find it really sort of you know really interesting to properly sit and have a watch of so that's that's a sort of a a big aspect of it the other kind of thing that we get on all the box sets of course nowadays is behind the sofa and charlie i don't think you've really had much of a chance to see some of the previous behind the sofa so i guess this was kind of your first real impression of it uh so watching these for the first time particularly with a story like time of the rani i assume to throw you straight in uh what was your kind of take on the the format and the style of it in particular on this box set honestly i wasn't overly looking forward to this um this is one of the last um, special features that i watched Mm. and it was surprisingly entertaining i think um i think the highlight of it was definitely um probably sylvester um and probably sophie alder as well and Probably Peter Davison. I think it was very funny how he was like criticizing all the plot holes and everything. And mm. that was quite amusing. I don't think we got nearly enough Colin Baker and Michael Jason as well. That was we didn't get much of them. But um, yeah, it was um it was nice as well seeing Sophie Eldred react to um like the previous stories that she wasn't in, but Sylvester was. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 always interesting to get those different perspectives of of sort of actors who played characters very close to the time these episodes were on but not quite in them so they've kind of got that perspective of the era but not necessarily the stories themselves uh ryan obviously you sat through many a behind the sofa before um i i you know obviously it's janet fielding still hanging around among other people in there uh what's your take being on behind the sofa for season 24 well first off i was actually really surprised janet fielding didn't comment or mention the fact that she auditioned with Sylvester or the actor so mm. doctor that really surprised me I thought she would offered like a, a tidbit on that but mm. I was really surprised um apart from that I fully I do agree Charlie it was funny seeing Peter sort of criticize it and primarily the fact that he makes the running gag of the fact that he his daughter's Georgia Moffat or Georgia Tennant um consider Sylvester her favorite doctor just to annoy him which I think is just brilliant and also the running gag of him just having wink envy whenever he sees the title sequence of Sylvester winking and he always rubs him a little bit it's just really funny and but yeah the highlights is definitely seeing Sylvester talking about getting into the role of the doctor sort of him stating that in the beginning that he wasn't sure what he was doing he just brought his usual comedic back of tricks basically and it i think it was once it were, it got to paradise towers or delta and the bannerman where he realized oh i've been given a great role here i could do so much more with this and that hearing that coming from him i thought it was really fascinating and just really insightful yeah i think it's such an interesting perspective to be able to gain um and i think that's what as much as I wouldn't say I always love Behind the Sofa, I think that is where it can work really, really well and just just really 
give you something different that you don't get from the making of or from the audio commentary or whatever just having those those different characters reacting to to the episodes i think can be absolutely fascinating so that's behind the sofa and i'm sure we'll have many more times to talk about it because it's going to be on every single one of these box sets um and i guess there'll be 150 of them or something by the end of it um i wouldn't i just just a random thought i wonder if they'll get people to do behind the sofa for the animations if we ever get to that point what do you guys what's your what, really stump stump me this question what's your thoughts charlie do you think they'll do behind the sofa for animated episodes episodes um that's an interesting question i've never really thought of that before um i sort of thought they would as soon as i heard that question because um you know they'll, they'll be in hopefully in seasons one through six as box sets yeah um but at the same time maybe not i i'm not really sure to be honest so i suppose we'll have to find out when they hopefully release season one in a box set in 2023 exactly yeah ryan any um, any thoughts i mean i remember w- it's really touch and go at this point. I remember when they did the animations for the recent ones and even going as far as back as um, the moon base and, and some of those animations, I don't think they did audio commentaries with the cast for those specific stories. Uh, it's mainly the people behind the animations and other people that were involved in sort of the production. And so, I mean, it's really touch and go at this point. I mean, I would personally, I would love to, see them react because i feel like it would be ever so fascinating just to see how they react to the animation if it thinks it measures up to how they remember it when they filmed it all those years ago or if they might be a bit turned off by it i think it'd be interesting to see if they do do that i hope so yeah i think i hope that they do do it i know we're really off of a tangent here but i think i hope they do do it i think it's I think it would work most effectively if it's with people who were in the story or involved in the production of the story. Because I feel like if we get the old duo, Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton on there, they're just going to sit there and criticise the animation, most likely. Because I feel like that's the sort of thing they're going to do. Or, you know, that set doesn't look like... Don't know, how would they have done that in 60s Doctor Who and whatever? I just can imagine and picture that ending up happening. So I feel like you'd need to put more focus on anybody who is still around, who was involved in the production, to be coming on, you know, Annika Wills or somebody like that um who for, for some of the second doctor stories um i think well, well and first Doctor stories i think would be fascinating so i don't know that's you know a random point but you know i guess maybe if at some point as you say charlie we finally get a, a black and white season uh or maybe for the anniversary or for something like that it would just be nice to actually have that that opportunity to find out really what's going to be happening so anyway coming back to season 24 because we've gone off to a tangent a little bit uh we've covered off time of the rani and paralyzed towers the kind of main new feature at least on the disc itself it's not that connected to the story is the doctor's table feature which i know they did on season 23 i think they did they do it on season 26 they do it on season 26 as well i think they did they i can't quite remember i have to be honest um but so they've done it before um i don't know ryan presumably you managed to watch the previous one so how does this kind of compare how did, did you get enjoyment out a lot of enjoyment out of this feature i pretty much enjoy it just as much as the one from season 23 it's basically the exact um same um format really of um them sitting around a restaurant table collecting questions and sort of um from the tardis um, cookie jar and basically offering their little pieces of trivia that season it's i it was just basically more of the same um plot as it was with that uh, particular previous um doctor's table it's just the differences it's just with different people and and i will say if you liked the previous um doctor's table you will like this if not then this isn't really offering that much difference yeah it's yeah. 
Um, sorry, sorry, go for it, Charlie. Oh, thanks. Um, so yeah, I think um, it was um, the Doctor's Table. It was very fun. Like um, I didn't expect it to be um, this entertaining. I think um, it definitely made an hour feel like twenty minutes. Um, I do hope they do more of these box sets, but um, as you said, Ryan, if they are a bit samey, I do hope they only do one Doctor's Table for each doc for each season of an era. I yeah, I think if my if I'm I have a feeling they might do more of these for the. 80s box sets because mm. I feel like they've got more of the cast um, um, from that particular era of the show. So if they are going to do more of these, I feel it will definitely be for more of the 80s seasons, definitely. Yeah, exactly. I think the key sort of thing with it was almost having enough of the cast there to be able to do it with. Um, and as you say, sort of with a lot of the earlier seasons, obviously we don't have much of the main cast still there, sadly. So I think, I think as you say, we've had season twenty-three and now season twenty-four. So we've got a sixth and a seventh Doctor one. I guess maybe on the next fifth Doctor season, whether it be well, probably season twenty, uh, whether they look to do one for that with you know the old the old crew from the fifth Doctor era. Um, I don't know. I feel like that'd be the most obvious one, but I can't see them doing too many more after that. Being, being, you know, just because the people unfortunately aren't still there with us to um, be able to contribute and give us the entertainment. So, um, move. We move on past that. The next kind of main new features. There's what there was. There's the odd, you know, bit of archive footage or whatever or audio things on on um, the uh, Paradise Towers uh, disc. But there's not a lot else there. Obviously, you've got the extended version of the location and studio footage again. But it's all, all, you know, it's great. But it's also, you know, repetitive stuff. We don't need to cover it over in too much detail. Uh, so we move on to Delta and the Bannerman, and of course Delta and the Bannerman has a brand new making of documentary called Holiday Camp, uh, which I think is a great, a great name, frankly. I think it's just, you know, it fits really nicely. Um, and so what, guys, what did you think of the documentary? And obviously this was a story they decided against doing a making of back in the DVD range. Uh, did, was, did it feel like it worked as a documentary now? Like, did they manage to kind of find interesting angles from it? Because often the reason they didn't do documentaries for the stories that are making off back in the day was because there wasn't necessarily that much interesting in the production to talk about. Uh, so how did you feel this documentary came across, Ryan? Well, this has definitely added a new insight to the story for me. I mean, I've always found Delta and the Bannerman to be uh, something of a, a, a guilty pleasure because it's so weird and bizarre. And it's so... But great to hear even the cast and crew feel kind of the same how talk about how just weird and bizarre it is down to the green babies and just the um the weird design of um Gavrock and how that was actually I did not know this the fact that um some of the choices of the mannerisms of Gavrock was all the act of Don Henderson's idea. I did not know that. So it was very interesting just to hear how some of the actors approached their roles and also hearing some of the some troubling aspects of the fact that some of the the parts of the camp that they were staying at was very run down and and it was clearly on its way out which really surprised me as well as the fact that they which I did not notice this and I wish I did um when the, Sylvester McCoy was doing these motor, motorbike um, stunts. The fact that he couldn't see properly without his glasses, and as a result, the actor, oh, I can't remember his name, who played the owner of the camp, um, went off the motorbike, landed in a bush. And so, as a result, when they were doing the wide shots, Sylvester had to wear his glasses. And I can't believe I didn't notice the fact that in those wide shots, you could clearly see Sylvester's got glasses on. I wish I noticed that, and for some reason, I didn't. And um, yeah, it was just weird. It was so fascinating 
just to hear them talk about what which, which is honestly just this music weird musical episode with a dark undercurrent um underneath it <laughs> it's a great way to sum it up for it isn't it i think um charlie what was your sort of perspective taking on the documentary um i think as for the story it's an absolutely brilliant story like ryan i i, I love it it's just from everything down to the the you know the welsh beekeeper and the weird <laughs> green painted baby and everything it's so strange um yeah, it is really fun. But as for the documentary, I'd, I don't know. It did have some interesting things, like you said, um, Ryan, about um, the doctor's glasses and um, Mel sitting on those cushions in the sidecar as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I did think that they were kind of running out of things to say. And the last mm. sort of 20 minutes didn't really need to be there. Yeah, I do. I can't feel that. I mean, it, it, I mean Delta the Bannerman, as enjoyable it is, is kind of a little bit of a light bit lightweight at times yeah. so it is quite kind of hard to kind of find more stuff to talk about it considering how as i said how lightweight it is but it was also really interesting to know the reason why it was primarily all location shots <laughs> is the fact that with the last two stories they decided to have one story be on location while the other being completely in studio which was uh, why the fact that with dragon fight was just all inside the studio as a way of trying to maneuver the production schedule around so it was very interesting to hear that tidbit as well yeah i mean you know it's, i think that's what's great about those documentaries is you always just find out there's a little bit of information that you never that just make everything make more sense almost among other things i think sometimes a reason that you know that as you even just simple things you know like finding out a little thing you never noticed about sylvester and his sunglasses and he's wearing have to wear glasses and things like that i think for for certainly for me as a fan i just find those things fascinating i think it always just adds a bit more fun and just always like something to look out for now when i watch the stories oh look at that little thing i hadn't noticed before it's there i think those things are really really great but as you as you sort of mentioned charlie i think i think it's the the challenge now of of the Blu-ray collection range, whereas back in the DVD range, making your documentaries often would be 20 to 25 minutes. And, you know, I, I guess maybe that back then they were a bit more kind of just serviceable. Like they they told the making of the making of the story. They did their job, but they weren't, you know, they were just a load of interviews, you know, people discussing the production, and that's basically it. There wasn't much else to say. Whereas I feel like now on the collection range, they really feel this has to be a big glossy documentary nice and long it's got to be like 40 minutes minimum and so and you know i, I think we've seen this with other stories some of them work better than others i think it helps when you go out to lots of the locations and things i think like the black orchid making of among other ones like that um and castro valva as well i think was was, was like that on, the, on season 19 but i think it just means that it can drag along slightly too far when there is stuff to say about the making of the story but sometimes there is not 45 minutes worth of stuff to say about the making of the story that's still interesting so it's it's always a balancing act i think the making of and, and you know i think in general they strike the right balance but sometimes as you say charlie this one maybe in particular it can just be slightly too long um so that pretty covers us quite well off of um, the making of there. Uh, there's a couple of 50th anniversary interviews with Bonnie Langford on the Delta and the Bannerman disc and again a load of um, behind the scenes little um, sort of uh, press video or sort of news videos from the time when people went onto the set and, and all, all of that kind of stuff's covered off on there. And again the same old location footage but also a cut down version of the rap party from that season. 
uh, or was it, or was it, I think it might be just from Delta to the Manor. I can't remember if it's the season or just Delta. Um, I don't know if any of you have got around to watching that yesterday, um, yet. I know it had been up on YouTube for a while. Um, and I've seen a bit of it from when it was just sitting on YouTube. For whatever reason, they've had to cut it down for the, the Blu-ray. But I think things like that are just fascinating, seeing kind of the cast and crew of the at the time but completely not in work mode as it were in part of the production or acting or anything like that i don't know have either of you been able to watch it yet uh i haven't been able to watch it, but i think i did see a bit of it on the um i think it was the i think it might have been the on the here's to the future documentary hmm. where they were t- showing footage from that rap party and just seeing um, the cast of crew on fine form and seeing yeah some of the cast impersonated John Nathan Turner even while he was there which was I was very surprised that he took it all on the chain and he was in good form so I'm happy that they all seem to have had a good time considering what a turbulent time of the the show it was going through yeah exactly Charlie have you had a chance to watch any of it um just like Ryan I haven't yet um but I did watch um here's to the future and did see that and yeah like you Ryan I did find the um JNT impersonator pretty funny um but yeah I probably I've only watched some of the major stuff um on like you know in terms of the VAM on this so far yeah and when I get to season 24 on my marathon I'll probably watch all of it yeah yeah that's i mean that that's always the way isn't it when you just kind of get the new box set you cover off a couple of little bits and bobs that are particularly interesting but then when you're marathoning it through you're doing all the van at the same time which is i'm which i'm doing at the moment i'm in i just finished season 19 gonna start season 20 soon um if only they'd release that season 20 box set sooner it's a sad time um but uh uh you know then you really go in depth and cover everything off that was on the original dvd that's on the blu-ray and, and all of that i think really and as a couple of you mentioned as you both mentioned there in fact should we cover off the here's to the future documentary because although I haven't finished it, I've watched quite a bit of that documentary, and I think it's one of the most interesting things on the box set. Personally, I I, I always I often find those kind of uh, retrospectives of like a whole season or a whole era. I know they did one for like the Fifth Doctor era. They did one for uh, Collins era and back in the DVD range, among other things. Um, and I just think those kind of more overall documentaries that really cover a season from beginning to end, how it was all put together, why quite frankly, season 24 was such a mess in places. Um, I think documentaries like that are fascinating. I think this does a great job of really telling that story in a, an interesting, not in just a very a very dry, let's interview Andrew Cartmel and whoever else and, you know, just, just hear them say what happened, but just do it with a little bit more interest, I found, from watching some of it. I don't know, Ryan, you said you, you both said you had a chance to watch it. So, Ryan, what was your kind of feeling on, on Here's to the Future? I think this is the highlight of the box set. I just think, having watched it all the way through, I think it's just a really fascinating um, insight as to how, what they were going through during that time and how Andrew Cartmel was kind of brought on a tiny bit late because Time of the Rani was already sort of commissioned. I mean, originally it was supposed to be called Dark Matter. It was supposed to be Colin Baker's last story, but then, of course, the whole fallout with Colin happened with him and the BBC, and so they had to really rework it from scratch to be a, a debut story for McCoy's Doctor and Andrew Cartmel when he came on board he didn't really have the chance to kind of fix it I mean he himself personally said that he doesn't like Time and the Rani and him and the director JT they didn't weren't struck on the writers Pip and Jane Baker because they didn't think they were right for Dot 2 which considering their track record with the three stories they've written I could, well three and a half I I can definitely understand why <laughs> they're not who's best writers, it's fair to say. Um, 
So, and I feel like when, as soon as he properly got into his job as script editor by Paradise Towers, I think he really started to, I thought he really did do the show more justice than, say, Eric Sayward did, who I, as much as he did do write some good stories, Eric Sayward, I just didn't think he was nowhere near as good as a script, good script editor as Andrew Cartmel was, who I feel like understood the essence of Doctor Who, um, how to craft a really fascinating story. I mean, he said he was very much inspired by Alan Moore comics, as he mentioned in the documentary, like um, Halo Jones and Watchmen, which is definitely clear watching some of those 80 stories. And, um, and it's no coincidence that actually during that time, Alan Moore actually wrote some stories for the Dot Two comic strips in Dot Two magazine around that time. So it's it was definitely fascinating to hear from Andrew Cartmore, especially how he wanted to approach the show, and also hearing more of Sylvester how he wanted to approach the his characterization of the Doctor. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely yeah. I agree with you, Ryan. The highlight of the box set, I think it's um. Lots of the information has already been told. However, I do think it um, makes you sort of understand a lot better why the production was so flawed. And it mm. gives us a nice sort of archive of a complete making of season 24. And especially it was towards the start, I believe it was from some sort of talk show that Colin Baker was on in November 1986. Mm. And yeah, yeah and then it got a question from like a child, I think. And it was, how many more seasons are you going to do on Doctor Who? And he said... I don't know, we'll just have to wait and see. And it said the night before he was actually told. And it really makes me feel sorry for Colin. Yeah, I feel really bad for Colin. He was really done dirty by the BBC, especially by Michael Grade and Jonathan Powell. And it's just, and hear him say, if I had the chance to go back in time, I would yeah. start from the very beginning. And, and it's just, it really... That really broke my heart a bit, just hearing from Colin. And I just feel like had he had Andrew Cartmel as a script editor, I think he would have, I think his era would have been way, way better received than it was. And, and frankly, considering everything, the fallout with Colin Baker and also the fallout with Eric Sayward, um, it's a miracle that season 24 was at least salvageable, considering that they, they started off with no script editor, no doctor, mostly no scripts, and they had to start production within eight weeks, and they only had four months to film. It's frankly a miracle season 24 was came out at least salvageable. I mean, it's a it's frankly, even though it's a mixed bag, at least they managed to get something out there, which is definitely commendable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's it's fair to say that um yeah, as much as they say season 24 isn't brilliant, but the fact that it actually came together at all is a miracle in many ways, given you look at some of the production problems they went through. I think another thing that's actually, just as you mentioned, and, and I think the the gut punch you get right at the start of the documentary with Colin saying he wish he wanted to go back to the beginning of his time, having just found out that he'd be you know, not being kept on. The fact that Colin is as nice as he is about the show and still wants to talk about the show and be interviewed about it, given how dirty he was done by the show. Like, you know, he'd be well within his rights to have just had nothing to do with Doctor Who ever again. And so I think the fact that he still loves the show, still wants to be involved with it, is just a testament to what a lovely person he is, frankly, and the fact that he really wants to get involved with it again. So I think that's really, really brilliant. We're really lucky to have a guy like him having been the Doctor and be the character that he is 
given the way that he was dealt with when he was on the show itself. Mm, yeah, definitely. And um, as I said, if, and the fact that he was done dirty, not just by the BBC, but also by the script editor as well, because Eric Sayward himself said that he wasn't a fan of Colin as the Doctor. And again, if they just got rid of Eric Sayward and just had maybe if Andrew Cartmel had just come on much earlier, I'd feel like it would, I think it would have, Doctor would have been in a much more better place than it was back then, definitely. <laughs> uh, okay, so that kind of covers off that fascinating docu- uh, documentary, Here's to the Future. And so the final real new thing, I'd say, on the box, I know there's the odd bit here and there, but the final real new thing is the Sylvester McCoy in conversation feature. Of course, continuing the tradition now, really, of having the uh, Doctor of that era come and do an, an hour-long interview with Matthew Sweet on their first season box set. We had it with Tom and Peter and now we've had it with Sylvester, and I'm sure we'll get it with Colin when season 22 comes around. Uh, so I think, uh, Ryan, you managed to watch pretty much all of the uh, uh, interview. How did you feel like, because I know we, always the thing with this is whether you kind of find anything new out about it, because we've all heard most of the doctors being interviewed many a time, talking about all their stories, everything. So I feel like it's quite hard to find a new angle, although Matthew Sweet does at least do a good job of trying to find that angle. Uh, how did you find Sylvester in, in this interview? I thought it was really insightful. I mean, I pretty much knew a lot of this stuff about him before having um, d- having watched like video essays online about the Seventh Doctor and reading articles. I'm pretty, I'm kind of knew pretty much everything about Sylvester beforehand. So all this information was like nothing new to me, really. But he, but it was definitely really good hearing it coming from him explaining everything about how his father was killed in action how he his mother became so depressed that he she actually ended up in in an insane asylum which is which is just really sad stuff and so which is kind of probably a reason why he turned to comedy to begin with although how he started off he basically uh, wanted to I think become a monk, uh, but then his application got rejected. And so I think he, afterwards, he turned to acting and got involved with Ken Campbell's um, comedy show. And I think Ken Campbell apparently was a choice to become the seventh doctor, but I think instead it just, JNT wanted to focus on Sylvester McCoy because he felt like he was the right person for the role. And just hearing all this information about Sylvester was just really fascinating, especially coming from him directly I just thought I mean even as I said even though it's nothing really new that I haven't heard before it was still really fascinating nonetheless yeah exactly I I think that's always the way isn't it with these interviews is although a lot of it may have been told before often they're in separate interviews and so bringing it all together and just those extra little tidbits maybe with a bit more time to consider these things than previously I think it still adds something to it and so I think Charlie you've seen some of the interview what was your sort of takeaways from what you managed to watch um, Ryan more or less summed up at least the part that I saw. Um, I think, yeah, many an experienced Huvian knows a lot of this stuff already, but I think, yeah. um, especially the way that Matthew Sweet interviews and the way, especially that Sylvester McCoy responds, is very articulate. Um, it just makes it a lot more interesting regarding those two people rather than the information that's actually being told. 
Yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's the sort of engaging characters, isn't it, that they are really. I think Matthew, Matthew Sweet is very much, you know, I guess an intellectual, I guess if that's one of a better word. And, you know, he always has a very intellectual way of sort of forming questions to ask. And as you mentioned, Sylvester is a very um, articulate person and character. And so he's always going to give you a really, really interesting answer, even if it's sort of covering the same ground. It's still is just worded in such a way that you really can engage with it and find it quite interesting. So that's, a really, that's actually a really interesting point, I think, there. Um, so that that actually that pretty much covers us off for all the features of season twenty four. Um, what the features that are new? Because if we sat and went through every single feature on this, firstly we'd need a whole lot more time to watch them first, and secondly we'd need about a ten hour podcast, I imagine, or at least the length of one piece of studio footage um, to cover it all off. But yeah, overall, you guys haven't watched as much as you have. What are your overall thoughts on season 24? Um, firstly, we'll come to you, Charlie. It's your first collection box that you mentioned at the start. It's kind of made, sold you on them, made you want to get more of them. Uh, how, how overall do you kind of view it, sort of um, looking back over it? Um, I think it is definitely a really nice way to um, watch these stories. Like, the DVDs are nice, yes, but it's a lot more practical having these. Yes. Because um, it takes up a lot less space, really. Yeah. And um, even set in the back, complete your Doctor Who archive with the Ultimate Collector set. It's like literally an archive. Once they've yeah. released all 26 of these, um, of every Doctor Who story, plus hundreds upon hundreds of hours of special features for every single box set. It's just a really nice way to have a complete sort of archive of it all. Yeah, mm. exactly. Ryan, how does it compare to previous box sets you picked up? Uh, considering that this has been a notorious season that has um, people not remembering fondly of it, I thought they did a really good job of um, um, uh, just doing a really good job of making this set more appealing, certainly. I mean, I've always feel like season 24 is a bit underrated. It's a, it's a mixed bag, definitely, but... I remember it a bit more more fondly than say season twenty two or twenty three, yeah. especially. Um, but I feel like this did a this set did a really good job of basically offering more insight as to why season twenty four was pretty much the mixed bag that it is, and maybe hopefully give people um, the opportunity to give it really a second chance because I feel like there's more. I think there's definitely more good in this season than people remember. Definitely. Yes. Absolutely, yeah, I do agree, Ryan. It's a very, very underrated season. I see lots of people consider it their worst favourite. Um, my worst favourite, although it's very unpopular, is probably season 11, um, with John Pertwee, wow. I think. It's got to be one of them, and i just say that one's it. But um, yeah, season 24, definitely very underrated. Well, that's a controversial yeah. opinion coming yeah. up against two Pertwee fans here. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Mon I will give you Monster of Peladon's not very good. Um, mm. Death of the Daleks is okay. Uh, not great. Invasion's got the problematic dinosaurs, but, you know, yeah. you look, I, I think look past Invasion it. of Dinosaurs is underrated. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, Time, Time <laughs> Warrior's really good. And, um, yes. and I think, um, and also Planet of, Planet of the Spiders is, a, I think, is a solid... Farewell yeah. to Pertwee's Doctor. Yeah. I mean, not my favourite farewell no. story for a Doctor. I mean, I think Capaldi's last three episodes are definitely the yeah. best farewell for a Doctor, in my yeah. opinion, certainly. But I think it's definitely up there, certainly. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we won't get into too much of John Pertwee debate. I'm sure that will come in future podcasts when we get another Pertwee season coming around at some point in the future. 
But, well, that pretty much covers off season 24, so we'll talk about the other big topic of conversation um, in terms of Doctor Who releases at the moment. And that is, of course, the Evil of the Daleks animation that I feel like we've spent, well, obviously not purely on this podcast, but in the fandom for about the last year we've been talking about the possibility of Evil of the Daleks being animated. And finally, on the 1st of July, I think it was something like 50 years since the first episode, or 55 years since the first episode, uh, or originally aired, or something along those lines. Um... They're going, to, they're going to animate it. Finally, we've got it. Seven episodes full of animation. Um, obviously, there's the existing episode two that will be there as well. Um, they're doing a color animation, black and white animation. The kind of usual, really, in that sense, that we kind of almost, almost got used to of having having these animation options. You've got the Telesnap reconstruction for the other six episodes. Uh, it's really very exciting. Uh, and also, I think it's worth noting, unlike the previous animations where they were announced like a year before they've been released, we're getting this on the 27th of September. It's only like two months or two and a bit months away. We've got, you know, uh, Web of Fear to look forward to in August and then Evil of the Darkness in September. It's, I think it's absolutely fantastic and frankly quite surprising. Um, although I guess if the rumours came out a year ago, that's probably when they started actually working on it and when, on, based on previous ones, they would have announced it. But they, cho- they went against that on this occasion. So Evil of the Daleks, uh, we got a very, very short teaser trailer, um, which, you know, gives some indication of the animation, but not a huge amount. Uh, straight off the bat, my own opinion was this looks better than Web of Fear. But, um, you know, we, we, we talked about Web of Fear in the last podcast and the questionable animation. Uh, at least that's only for one episode. Uh, whereas I think this is done by the same people who did like the faceless ones and stories like that. So it's very much coming from a team who are well embedded into doing animated Doctor Who. And so we should get a similar style to some of those previous ones. Um, so Charlie, uh, Evil of the Daleks, is it a story you know a lot about? Have you ever covered the reconstructions or the existing episode or anything like that? I um, haven't watched any of the reconstructions. I don't know if they're on the Lost in Time box set or not, but I plan to get that sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I've heard it's a brilliant story and, you know, it's seven parts. It's huge. It's epic. It's the final Dalek story, really. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think um, I'm definitely going to be getting it. I'm probably going to pre-order it sometime soon. Ryan, yourself, have you ever covered this story before? Yeah, I've definitely listened to this one before. It's definitely one of one of Charlton's best stories and one of the best stories of the 60s, frankly. I think it's a really solid Dalek story that takes us to different periods, starting off briefly in present day before spending a good chunk in the past before really stepping up again in the last um, couple of episodes where the action moves to Scarrow. And it's just a really, just a grand Dalek story. And... Frankly, I couldn't be more happier that they announced the animation for this. And the fact that it's in the same style as the animation from the Faceless Ones, which I think is one of the best animations. So having it be that similar style is just, I couldn't be happier, frankly. And of course, I pre-ordered the Steel Book as soon as it was announced. I mean, of course, I had to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly the same. Yes, I was straight on there with the Steel Book pre-order. So I'll have that to look forward to come the end of September. Um, and I think it, it's notable that for this uh, story, of course, as, as Charlie mentioned, it's a seven-parter. And so it's the first time that we're having seven episodes animated of a story. Uh, we've only previously managed to get up to the six for Paradisolics, uh, Fury from the Deep and the Faceless Ones. Um, and of course, well, among other things, it edges us closer and closer.
closer to the Dalek Master Plan 9 episodes. Maybe they're building themselves up to, up to that, uh, giving us seven episodes of animation this time. You know, only a couple more to go, and then we'll be at that level. Albeit, I'm still kind of have a hunch that if they do do that, they'll do it in two separate releases. But that's just, um, that's again, probably a topic for another day. Uh, so you guys both had a chance, I'm sure, to watch the little teaser trailer and seeing it's similar to uh, what we got from from the Faces ones, among other animations, is certainly a big plus. Uh, does that give? Did that kind of just increase the excitement really for you watching, being able to watch that little teaser of the of the animation, Ryan? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Dalek animation is just as smooth as it was in um, uh, the power, the special edition of Power of the yeah. Daleks. It's just as smooth as it is with that and the character animations are definitely as good as it was in both macro and the faceless ones i feel like it's again it's that similar sort of animation i feel like it's the style that perfectly suits this kind of story and i'm frankly looking forward to those scenes on scara where they confronting the emperor oh, and, yes. it's, and, and, and the dalek civil war at the end it, and, and that's the bit i'm going to be looking forward to see how they're going to um, handle that particular final battle in the story. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because, of course, this story was, I remember, billed at the time as almost like the final end of the Daleks because they thought that they were going to lose, the, that Terry Nation was going to run off with them and do his own TV show with them. So this story was very much written, designed as being the last ever Dalek story. Um, so I think, and I think some of those, you say there's really big scenes at the end of the story on Scaro with the Dalek Emperor and all of that have been so hard to get a really good impression of with the sort of just the telesnaps and a little bit of kind of, I think, uh, studio footage or something along the lines of that. So to finally get that in all its glory, see the Emperor Dalek in animated form, the kind of vast expanse of Scar and everything, I think it's just going to be fascinating and really give us a much better in- impression of the story. Because as much as I enjoyed it when I covered it off in the, I think, the reconstructions and the existing episode, I feel like I couldn't quite get as much as I wanted to from it just because I didn't have that moving picture. I found that was more difficult uh, to really find enjoyment out of compared to some of the other reconstructions. And maybe I should have tried the audio, of course. Um, but yeah, uh, Charlie, does, does this this, this sort of little teaser give you real excitement for the, the animation to come? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, it's a, very much a breath of fresh air after the Web of Fear, which obviously we talked about in a little length. Um, and yeah, the, the animation obviously harks back to Faceless Ones in Macro Terror, which are probably my favourite two animations. And yeah, it's just more relieving than anything. And it sounds, um, I don't know if I'm just like not hearing it correctly, it sounds a lot like um, The Emperor Dalek is being revoiced by, um, by Nicholas Briggs. I, I saw somebody on Twitter mention that, and I, I'm pretty sure it's the original voices. I do know what you mean, having listened to it, but I'm pretty sure somebody working on it said that that was the original voices they used in the story and just they're really, really good Dalek voices. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, listening to the audio and just hearing the Emperor Dalek, and it just, it's definitely, it's it's exactly the same as that. That's right. how the Emperor did sound back then. It's no wonder that Nicholas Briggs wanted to use that same sort of voice for the modern Dalek Emperor as well as all the Supreme Daleks. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the route that that's the, must have been the inspiration that Nick Briggs got in some of his um Dalek voices and characters, which is always, you know, interesting to kind of look at those parallels and where those those ideas might have come from previously. Uh, and so just to cover off quickly the release, because they actually gave us information about the release, you know, the special features and everything. Uh, so as I mentioned, there's the Telesat reconstruction, obviously an audio commentary, uh, the audio book with the, the Tom Baker audio book with the story as well, which I think is I think was quite a popular release back in the day, although I 
cannot say um, I've listened to it myself. Um, I'm sure it is good. Uh, and then also there is, of course, a making of documentary, um, which is another exciting thing to look forward to. Um, and I know uh, this is kind of off at a tangent, but also it isn't. Uh, speaking of making of documentaries, there has been various shots um, of uh, some what looked like a doctor making a docu- documentary being filmed out on location from the Abominable Snowmen. I don't know if either of you have seen these pictures of doing the rounds on the forums and social media, but basically it showed a TARDIS built up and some film crew uh, on set on some of those hills where they filmed some of them, the Abominable Snowmen. Uh, so I think that that is very much an animation that might be in the works um, and also documentaries to go with it. Uh, obviously, it was long the rumour as well, alongside um, another rumour, of course, that's basically been confirmed was Galaxy 4, which uh, turned up on the website of Shapeshifter Studios. Now, Shapeshifter Studios um, are the studios that we discussed uh, a, few, a, few, a few podcasts ago and could not find any information about them. It seems that even when you stick their name into Google, their website doesn't actually come up, but someone else found their website somehow. And actually, it's all right. There's a load of info on there. Uh, But it did say that they were working on Galaxy 4 in their credits of the things they were currently working on. Then the next day, the website was down and it was gone, of course. So you basically just confirmed it there. So pretty clearly, we've got a Bonneville Snowmen animation and Galaxy 4. Well, unless they've suddenly discovered the story, but let's be real, they probably haven't. Um, And also the Galaxy 4 animation to come. Uh, assuming we have how do you guys feel about I know we discussed it before but given it looks basically certain they're both going to happen how do you guys guys feel about the prospect of it Charlie what what are you thinking about that um I'm not a huge fan to be quite honest of um Galaxy 4 I've seen the surviving episode and I've seen the recons for the other three and I doubt it's the most thrilling episode (laughs) um I've not I'm not an overall huge fan of um season three in general but um it'll still be nice to have the story and who knows maybe my perspective might be changed if it is animated um and and it does surprise me actually that they're doing um a hartnell story because they seem to be focusing on troughton obviously yeah exactly i think it's it hopefully it just means it's a sign they're finally moving over to hartnell's as well and maybe just maybe have one animation team work on Troughton and one animation team work on Hartnell and then, you know, we'll cover them off in tandem, can balance the race between the Doctors and I think it would work really effectively. I don't know, maybe we'll see that down the line. But also, of course, Ryan, it's the Abominable Snowman looks like the other story uh, on the go at the moment. Uh, would you be excited to see that and potentially some documentaries around it as well? Absolutely. I think the Abominable Snowman is a really good, solid story um, and and if they did do that, it would it would pretty much cover the whole period of victoria as a companion they were finally completed sort of every single story that she was in and i do think it's a good story especially with the web of fear coming out to have the first great intelligence yeti story also completed as well to kind of fill in more of that history as well as also how they first met professor travers and, and and it's definitely a good story to check out and it's definitely eerie in places which i think is adds a lot to why i think the abominable snowman is such a great story galaxy four less so because i mean yeah. i mean there's no way the chumblies could be eerie let's be honest um, it's just not um, gonna happen and, is it no definitely not and the fact that it could be animated by the same people who's doing the web of fear part three isn't giving me a whole lot of confidence they could improve what is basically an 
okay at best story. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. yeah I think it's, um, it's concerning a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I, I am surprised, actually, that um, they haven't released Galaxy 4, or they're not going to, in a box set with some other stories, because I presume that's what they do with the uh, less marketable animations, maybe, mm. um, like the hot historicals, let's say. But because, um, you know, it's not exactly going to sell loads, is it? Like, you know, the Doctor mm. faces off against the Chumblies, you know, not many <laughs> people are going to buy it. <laughs> That's actually a really good point, yeah. I think I've heard a rumour that maybe the reason why they're not doing the historical ones is because I think I've heard that they're getting the attention to detail with the settings and the costumes. I think it would take way too much time, way too much resources to try and get it accurately done. It would just take, apparently would take them forever to do a historical story, which is a shame because I would love to see them do, because I do think the historical stories of the 60s are just, really well done i would love to see them get animated someday whether it's like say um marco polo the massacre of saint bartholomew's eve or the highlanders especially because that was the first story with jamie so it's i think considering how such a popular companion he is i would really hope that they give his introduction story the treatment it definitely deserves yeah, exactly. I think that with the uh, historicals, they are being left later into the range. Um, as you say, it's the challenge of, of lots of different sets and the costumes of historicals. And just just there seems to be a few extra challenges for historicals compared to something like Galaxy 4, which isn't exactly the most visually challenging story I imagine trying to make, which may be one of the reasons why it's been pushed up the list, almost to just test the waters of a Hartnell story that's not really very remarkable. How does it sell? Uh, maybe that's the route they're going down with it. I don't know. But I think it leaves us ultimately in a really, really exciting position in terms of the animation range at the moment because we've obviously got Web of Fear coming next month. We've got Evil in September and we've got basically confirmation, if not officially, we've got pretty much confirmation of Abominable Snowmen and Galaxy 4 also being worked on. So four animations in the works, which I think is really exciting given we haven't had anything since Fury from the Deep, which was, what, September last year. It's been a little bit of a wait, but hopefully things are really kicking into gear now and we'll get a lot more animations coming our way as well. So that pretty much covers us off for the podcast this week. I have one other question I would like to ask you both, Ryan and Charlie, because, of course, season 24 is out. It's done. But we don't have another season announced at the moment. And there's rumours season 20, season 17, maybe even season 6 or season 2 possibly I've seen, among others. Uh, if you guys could pick one season to be the next choice, what would it be? Charlie, what's the season for you? What would you like to see come out next? Season 16. 16. I love season 16. It's such a good season. Like I know not many people are too fond of it and they just think it's good. But um, honestly, I, I do adore season 16. It's fantastic. And I think it would um, be very well suited to the, um, the box set treatment. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, I mean, I, I love the key to time art personally. I think that it's so great to see Doctor Who doing something so sort of different at the time, at least, of having such an inter interconnected season with the key to time arc and everything, covering all that off. And as you say, I think that it, the, the box set just lends itself to kind of having, you know, having the treatment, having a few more documentaries done around it um, and just covering off that much more depth on the release. Given, obviously, the, the DVDs, I think, released in 2007, all of them at once. So it's been a while since any of that season has been tackled. So I think that could be really, really interesting. Uh, so that's a great idea. But Ryan, what is your pick of a season to come next? Well, firstly, Chai, that's a great choice because I do think season 16 is really good. I mean, even 
even though the last two stories are not really my cup of tea, I absolutely adore the first four stories. Yeah. I think they're just, I think they're perfect got to comfort food, really. You could just sit down on a nice, um, nice afternoon and just watch all four of them, and they're just an absolute blast to watch. My choices, I'm torn between two. One's pretty much an obvious choice. It's season 13, um, Tom's yeah. second season, because, I mean, I think his first three seasons are the golden age of Doctor Who, Maurice, because I think they're just so many great stories. I would love to see season 13 get the box set treatment just so we can have the full golden age completed, all three seasons. Yeah. yeah. it out there. My other choice, maybe an oddball choice that I hope they do, the wilderness years, including yes. the Paul McGann, because Paul McGann is pretty much a classic doctor also. And I would love to see that how they would tackle all the material from 1990 to 2004, just basically get as much material they can if they ever decide to do a box of that and how they would um, handle the Paul McGann TV movie, if they'll do a behind-the-sofa on that one, just to see yeah. different perspectives on that particular one especially. So that would be, I think, is an interesting one to tackle, hopefully, in a future release. Yeah, that yeah, that is a very interesting idea, Ryan. I didn't actually really think of that. But yeah, you could have Search Out Space, Dimensions in Time, Scream of the Shalker TV movie. Um, I can't think of anything else. There's probably a couple of others. But yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I think you could also do, um, I think the comic relief special that Stephen Moffat yes. did, Curse of it with um, Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. And and I think they also did like a like a 30th anniversary documentary called 30 Years or More Than yes. 30 Years in the TARDIS. And that they, they, there's so much material that they could easily put onto this um, set. And also so that way you could have Paul McGann basically added on your shelf with that collection, definitely. Yeah, exactly. I think the Wilderness Years box set is one that's uh, been doing the rounds on the forums as just a sort of thing people want for a long time. There's many a list of people suggesting stuff as pretty much all you've, you've covered. And obviously additional documentaries about that period in the history of the show where there wasn't really a show to watch. I think it's notable that on sort of for, on season 26, for example, that so we've already had that box set and there are notable documentaries or bits just bits and bobs that are that were taken off the dvds sort of from the dvds to the blu-ray which suggests they're being saved for some sort of release after that whether it's just a tv movie box set or whether it's a full-on wilderness years box set i don't know but i think that it'd be absolutely fascinating when it comes around to it so i think ryan that's actually a really really good suggestion you never know i, I feel like they might wait until towards the end of the range if not the end of the range to do it but you, know, you never know they might surprise us and do something a little bit different uh, but that pretty much covers us off for Kavam in this uh, this podcast this week's edition I think we'll be back in a couple of weeks or so to just hopefully discuss uh, some of season uh, 10 and 18 because of course they've recently been had the uh, re-releases of the collection for those seasons and obviously we didn't have a chance to talk about them at the time so we'll come back and just have a little chat about that and of course any news on animations and anything of that variety as well but as always um, if you haven't already, please go and follow us on Twitter at KavamPod for the latest news and updates on the podcast. And of course, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Acast, on YouTube, on my, on my YouTube channel, Neos Productions. So follow or subscribe, whatever you do on any of those ways so that you can keep up to date with Kavam um, when we have our next episode, hopefully in a couple of weeks' time. But I hope you guys have really, really enjoyed the next edition of Kavam and we will see you again very, very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.